Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. There it is. I found it. You got it? Okay. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys. How lovely it is to be December how are you guys doing on your Christmas shopping? Are you guys way on it? No? You guys aren't on it at all. Can you hear me yet? Can you hear me yet? You guys got it? All right, all right. There it is. It'll probably get better as I'm talking, so we'll jump right into it. Um, I'm going to be preaching today on our series uh, called Tradition. And uh, as we're talking about tradition, the entire point of the entire series, it's really not uh, no series I do is in, is really about the thing I call it. It's always about God, and it's about Jesus throughout all of it. Uh, and so even in traditions, uh, what we're really talking about is we're talking about the tradition of man versus the tradition of God. Uh, and this pattern that we can see uh, echoed throughout history, throughout our families, throughout our personal lives. What are our traditions? Where do they come from? And how do we disrupt, dismount, and allow God to establish his traditions in the place of our human traditions. So this is the dynamic that we deal with, and we jump into a bunch of different subjects. I know one of the weeks Tim talked about worship. Uh, I talked last week about uh, who's leading you, who's speaking into your future, the fivefold ministry in your life. Uh, and today I want to talk about being uh, or the our Heavenly Father in the tradition of our family. Uh, and the ultimate aspect and goal uh, of God in our life is that we'd be fruitful children, uh, and we would bear fruit uh, in this earth, in this life. And we do that by relationship with our Heavenly Father. And He creates the behaviors of Him and us, especially, and this is where it gets really important to Christian transformation, is He does this in the place of our human error or weakness. Our inability to express His nature apart from Him, He does that work in us. So we're going to start in 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. And we're going to speak about uh, the dynamic of what it looks like to be children of God. And uh, I think there might be a little suppression on this mic. Let me see this. How's that? Lots better, lots better, lots better. Here we go. You can have that one. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. Uh, and so we're going to go ahead and read in there, and it says, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him, uh, uh, sh shrink from him in shame at his coming. And so it calls us little children, and so you can see the language in this scripture begins to uh, help us understand the lesson being taught. It's calling us little children. It's speaking to us as children because it is framing this subject matter of being children of God. And so you may think of yourself as amazing. You may think of yourself as grown. And you may even think of yourself as old. Does anybody think of themselves as old in this place? Some people don't like to think of themselves as old. Uh, and some people, when I even say the word about old people, they're like, whoa, 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 easy, easy. Uh, but I think... Um, it's good for us, no matter what age we are and how we see ourselves, for us to understand that uh, we are all children of God. 
So this levels us all to a place with God that is appropriate. It's a humble place. It's a place of being a recipient of the nature of God. So that even if we are old and wise here on earth compared to other humans, uh, compared to the infinite wisdom of God, uh, that progress is so small compared to the vastness of God's maturation and wisdom. Uh, and so that's important for us to see it, that it's speaking to us as children. Uh, it's framing it in that way, not to say that we are incapable of great things, but that in the scope of us and God, it's most appropriate for us to see ourselves as children. Children of God and of course powerful and incredible of great things with God, but nonetheless, the humble perspective of self is that I'm a child of God and I'm willing and capable to be shaped by God. Similar to how my kids are willing to be shaped by me and impressed by me and disciplined by me and taught by me and inspired by me, uh, we are to have the same enthusiasm for our relationship with God. As opposed to perhaps uh, this, this idea of old dogs can't learn new tricks. And some of us in our life, we've grown to a place where we have lost the ability to change. And we've grown stale and aging and, and we've grown resistant and resilient to the change that God wants to do in our life. So when we are children of God, we assume this posture of, uh, of flexible, coachable, authorable, uh, shapeable, uh, formable. And, and this attitude towards God is critical to growth and especially difficult growth. Growth that would be challenging, that would be unnatural to us in our personality type. Okay, so that's enough on that point. So it, it, it's, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, so this begins to open up this traditional thought. What creates righteous behavior in a person? If we take a person who has no righteous behavior at all inside of themselves, uh, and we want to uh, aid and help them in getting righteous behavior installed inside of them, then the great question gets asked, how do we do this? Do we teach them? Do we discipline them? Do we create an incentive program for righteous behavior? Uh, do we create a punishment program for when they don't do righteous behavior and they do wicked behavior? So we can scheme up and we can conceptualize a lot of ideas about how to inspire righteous behavior in a person. But when we look to scripture, it's going to be important for us to understand what God does in terms of transformation. How does he do transformation? And that phrase right there, and it's really easy to miss, I think, but it says everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So when Jesus says uh, to the man in the Bible, he says, you have to be born again. And then the man's confused. He's like, how can I re-enter my mother's womb and then be born again? That's a little weird, confusing. Why are we talking about this now? Uh, but when Jesus introduces this concept of born again, and you hear it taught here, reiterated here, you actually see it's a spiritual birth. Uh, and it's something that happens when you accept Jesus in your life, you get born again. This phrase is not just a cute passing phrase, a token phrase that we say, but it's symbolic. It's literally a spiritual rebirth 
uh, that you now, uh, if you're a newborn in it, then you have perhaps newborn tendencies. If you're a toddler in it, perhaps you have newborn uh, or a toddler tendencies. But nonetheless, this born again or born of him process is the very process that unlocks righteous behavior in you. So it's impossible for you to grow in your righteous behavior without being born again or born of him. So if you have to be born of him or be born again, that you, un you and I understand that it's not by our efforts alone that we grow in righteous behavior, but it's by the rebirth and the life that God gave us in a rebirth. And the reason this matters is because being born again is us being born of a different seed. It's us being born of a different propensity, of a different ability, of a different potential. Uh, I like to, uh, so I have my degree in psychology, so I, I enjoy the study of the person side by side with the study of God and scripture. It's such a, it's such a complimentary study in my opinion and you begin to see that every person has propensities. Every person has personality types, and perhaps even in that they have deficiencies and strengths and weaknesses. Um, you might not like some of the deficiencies in the people around you uh, that come with their personality. You might love uh, the strengths that come from them. And in marriage, we get to see really, really magnified versions of this thing. Uh, I think probably every spouse would be able to alliterate pretty well what their spouse's weaknesses are. And, and maybe just maybe one day we'll have you all write them down and pass them up and see, see how many of them connect, you know. And then maybe we can have like support groups built, you know. Uh, everyone that's married to that kind of personality, you can be like, oh, we got a support group for that now. So, but when you are born again, what we're, what we're really beginning to see in Scripture here and begin to be communicated is that in this new life, you actually have access to the full scale of behavior that is represented in Jesus. So in your human birth, you have access to very specific, finite uh, abilities, and very specific and finite inabilities, but in this born again aspect in life, this spirit-led life that we live, we actually have access to the fullness of the nature of Jesus, to the fullness of the nature of our heavenly father. And that's a really interesting potential in our behavior. And it is, the, it is outlined here, and it's gonna continue to be outlined here, that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So righteousness comes from a rebirth. It doesn't come from an effort. It doesn't come from maximizing human potential. It comes from a rebirth in Christ. And when we understand that this is the source of our latent potential in Christ, uh, then we actually begin to have a humility in our growth. We begin to have a humility in our righteous production we, have a begin to, we begin to have a humility or a patience for those who aren't yet expressing righteousness or a growth in righteousness. And this is important because if we don't have patience for people, 
It may be because we don't understand where our growth has come from. If you and I believe our growth has come from ourselves, then we're going to look at people and go, hey, buck up, man. Grab your bootstraps and just come on now. I did it. You can do it. And that's a very reasonable perspective if that's the case. But for each person who has seen growth and breakthrough in their life and in righteousness, it is a causality of Jesus doing it to you. So when you were born again, God put something inside of you that allowed you to overcome your human nature. God put a part of himself, he put himself inside of you. And John 15 is going to actually really well complement this picture of what we're talking about today. And John 15, if you go there, 15.4, it says, uh, I'm preaching out of my Bible today. I just wanted to do that. It's so fun. I love my Bible. I actually wrote, I, I, underlined, I underlined something today in this beautiful Bible that somebody bought me. It's real leather. You guys see this thing? Wow, huh? So 15.4, it says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. So live in me and I live in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus states really clearly that if you want any fruitful production in your life, it takes residency in me. That is the end of the story. That's why it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. It's speaking to the production of the nature of Christ. Have you or can you produce the fruits of the Spirit? Have you read the, the list recently? Love, joy, peace, patience. And you can go down the list, right? Have you read the list recently and have you seen or realized a growth in that fruit in your life? If you have not seen a growth in that fruit in your life, and in fact, you've perhaps seen a regression of that fruit in your life, check where you are spiritually living. Check where you're spiritually living because it's a natural consequence of residency in Jesus that produces the fruits of the Spirit. So if you're living in Jesus, there will be a growth in this fruit. If you aren't living in Jesus, there will be a decline and a decaying and a rotting of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. If this, then that, it is a hence, therefore, consequently situation. It's causality, it's reaction based on a choice to live in Jesus. We produce behavior of Jesus. And so we're going to jump back to 1 John. 1 John 3, the next 3.1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So this is an honor, right? There's a love that Heavenly Father had for us. He sent His only Son to give us accessibility as a co-heir. This is a loving act. It's an act that should make us feel incredibly grateful because God did a thing to send His Son that allowed us access to living in him. That's so fun. And that's so amazing. And that's critical to transformation. So if you don't know whether or not you're living in Jesus, because I know this can sound like a kind of, of a nebulous idea, ambiguous. If I were to ask you, like, hey, are you living in Jesus? Some of you might confidently answer yes. Yes, I'm living in Jesus. Uh, some of you might be like, I, I think. 
can you tell me if I'm living in Jesus? <laughs> uh, and then others will be like, absolutely not. I am 100% certain that I am not living in Jesus and I need to be living in Jesus and I'm a bad person as a result. And they might start beating themselves up a little bit. So I've heard all of the different answers I feel about those kinds of questions. Are you living in Jesus? And it can seem nebulous, it can seem weird. It can seem like if you ask the question, why? Like, how do you know? Why, why would you say that you're living in Jesus? How do you know? If I was to really question you and to really challenge that idea, then your answers after that might be a little bit hard to prove, right? Because if you go, well, uh, you know, I go to church every Sunday. It's like, okay, is everyone going to church every Sunday living in Jesus? Well, I tithe and, and, and then I, I, I try and do good things. Okay, so if you do those things, does that mean you're living in Jesus? And, and all of a sudden, it kind of it can feel really difficult to prove that you're living in Jesus, right? And I will never do this line of questioning to you unless you ask me to, of course. But the point is this, is that it can seem like a very nebulous idea. Like it's very vague and it's very, it's like, I think I'm living in Jesus. And, and so, so, so when you look to scripture to understand it and to study it, to have a confidence in where you're living spiritually. So that when he comes back and he says, and we may have confidence not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Because there is a place that when, the scripture even says, that my sheep know my voice. There is a confidence that we can have in I live in Jesus, of this I am sure. I have made my commitment, I love him, I believe in him, I trust him. I give him my life every single day. I give my life to him. And you can start to sense and feel the confidence in somebody stating their residency in Jesus. And you can go, man, I could see that in your testimony, in your story of what you're saying about your life. And see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Um, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children. Now and what we will uh, be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, here, there's a lot happening here, right? And so when we see him, we will be uh, like him. So that's, what, that's really interesting, right? So when he comes, we'll see that we are like him. So the process of becoming like Jesus actually begins before we get to see Jesus with our own eyes. So that when he comes, we're more of a match to him than a mismatch to who he is. So when Jesus comes, we won't have to be like, whoa, I got a, wow, I didn't know you were like this. I'm kind of, I don't even really know you. I'm kind of, well, this is a little bit weird. It, that, would be, that would be unlike what it's saying in Scripture, that when Jesus comes, it will be, if we are living in him, it will be like, we'll be like, whoa, look, I'm like you because I've been spending my life becoming like you. So we, it's the image of the invisible God. That's what Christ is. And, and we, as we are becoming like Christ, are becoming the image of that invisible God. So when that image comes, it's like it's closer to looking in the mirror than it is looking at somebody who's really different from you. It's like when you go to a family reunion and you're like, oh, that's where I got those traits. 
That's where I got those features from. When I go to my family reunions or when I visited my family, I look like my mom's side much more than my dad's side. Uh, so I'm 6'2", and, and, and so that's more my mom's side. And I, I have, like, red in my beard. Uh, that's my mom's side as well. Uh, my nose, mom's side. Uh, my eyes, mom's side. Uh, and so I get a lot of my features uh, from my mom's side. So when I go and I see them, I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. You guys, you guys kind of look like me, or you guys even kind of act like me. That's kind of interesting. And it's more like seeing the same image than it is seeing, like, a stranger, you know? Uh, like when I go to somebody else's family reunion, and I'm like, I don't look like anybody here. <laughs> and so that's what it's talking about when it's like, okay, Jesus comes back. Is it going to be like a family reunion for you, or is it going to be like being in a stranger's home? And, and so that's what we're talking about here, is your nature like him, thus that you, you would actually be considered a family of God, right? Or the family of God. So he calls you a child of God, not so that you can behave like another family, Right? He calls you a child of God because what he's assigning to you is the attributes that come from Heavenly Father. So you've probably mapped out pretty good uh, what your father's attributes are. How many of you guys know what your father's strengths and weaknesses are? Probably pretty good, right? Uh, and at this point, I think my son's starting to map me out pretty good. So we're gonna have a, have, I'm going to have to do a major personality overhaul to keep him on his toes. Um, but, you know, we, we can kind of get a good understanding of who our father is and then what's inside of us that came from our father. Can you do the same thing with your heavenly father? Where you can understand like, okay, this is who he is and I can see those things in me already and that's amazing. And, and, but also there's these things. There's these things that I'm contending on. There's these things I'm believing that God will transform me in because I don't yet act like my heavenly father. So when you and I begin to recognize that, we begin to actually tap into what our human tradition is and how God is actually trying to make an effort in our lives to dismount and disrupt that human tradition, our human father uh, tradition in our life. And our heavenly father is seeking to establish his likeness, his being, his behavior, his approach to finances, his approach to friendship, his approach to forgiveness, his approach to love, his approach to savings and giving and generosity, his approach to boundary, his approach to family, his approach to marriage, his approach to reconciliation, his approach to fashion, his approach to facial hair or no facial hair or balding or hair plugs, his approach to shoes. Like there's so much that Heavenly Father wants to cultivate in our life. And, and, and are, we on the, are we on that track with him? Are we living with him and that God, you can impress upon me all that is you. And you can replace all that is human tradition. All that is human tendency. All that is my human genetic propensity and predisposition. Do you believe that God can do a work in you such that it overcomes genetic predispositions? Or do you believe that the work of God only goes up to a point and only can do so much in your life? Do you believe that God can heal generational curses? Do you believe that God can heal generational physical ailments? Do you believe that God can do a thing that goes beyond human tradition and understanding? 
or have you contained God to the box of what is pragmatically possible in our human understanding and tradition? Are you open to God doing a miracle in your character? Are you open to God doing a supernatural work in your transformation journey? Are you open to God doing a supernatural work in your genetics, in your generational expressions? Are you open to God doing a God thing in your life? Or have you placed as the greatest authority in your life your genetic predisposition? What's greater in your imagination? Is it the things you've received from your earthly family? Or is it the power of God to transform? See, is the spirit of God greater in your life or that which you were born with? What is greater in your life to author, to remain, to fix, to create, to heal, disrupt? What are we giving the nod of leadership to? We ought to be careful at the things we're expressing in pattern. We ought to be aware that these things that we express, whether they be violence or anger or unforgiveness or workaholism or substance abuse, whatever these things may be, we've got to become keenly aware that we have inherited attributes, traits, and patterns from human tradition and human patterns and the relationship with God is for sure addressing those things. And we have to understand that when it comes to living in Jesus, the behaviors of human tradition will be tempting and will be provoking us to not live in Jesus. There are alternative homes that we get to live in. There are alternative spirits that we get to reside in, that we get to choose to make our home the question is, when God says you are children of God, are you going to allow that reality of being a child of God to be the greatest, most formative capacity in your life? Or will you allow your human expressions, your child of man expressions to become greater or to remain the king of your life? What will author you? What will cause you to remain? What will cause you to move? What will cause you to fight? What will cause you to grow? What will cause you to cry or be mad? What is it that is causing our behavior? This is our Father. Let's keep reading so we can identify this. Beloved, we are children, uh, God's children. Let's go to verse 4. 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Really simply, if you're a child of God and he is causing behavior in you, then he does not, it's not inherent in him to cause sin. So if you and I are sinning, then we know that we still have a connection to our old fathers. Isn't that exciting? It's not condemning. It's exciting to find out that it's still there so we can be delivered, we can be healed, and we can get breakthrough. So when you lie, you don't justify it as something that happens in Jesus. When you lie, you recognize that you didn't get it from Jesus, you got it from somebody else, so now it's time to be transformed. And if you're not choosing transformation, look at this. You might be keeping the sin because it's convenient to success here on earth. 
But I would encourage you to forfeit the success that sin brings you so you can take, even if it's this, even if it's the poverty that righteous brings you. So we forfeit the power of sin and we say yes to the power of Jesus even if it means less earthly success. Sweet. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who abides, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning because it's consequential. If you live in Jesus, you behave like the thing you live in. That's why it says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning because wherever you live, you will uh, express, you will have your being. Oh, that's so fun, man. So you don't have a sin problem, you have a residency problem. Which should teach you that if you're trying to get rid of the sin, don't attack the sin, uh, but attack your, um, your, your conviction over residency. What has coaxed you away from living in Jesus? What has enticed you away? What has confronted and challenged you and causes you to live in fear now rather than in Jesus? Whatever it is that has robbed you or has bound you and has disallowed you to live in him, let's knock it out. Let's crush it. Let's watch it die. Let it die, let it die. Let it shrivel up and die. What's, what movie is that, babe? Cool. Uh, <laughs> Borax, got it. Little children, this is the last part I'll read and then we're going to wrap up. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice, a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Remember when I said we're from a different seed? God's seed abides in him, and it's growing. It's taking up more space. It's becoming fruitful. God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, he cannot keep on sinning. The point of this whole paragraph, as convicting as it can be, because we think about the sin we did this morning or yesterday or this week, or the many sins that we do in pattern, the reason why it's convicting, but the point of the scripture is that it's meant to point to what is growing in your life, right? So if sin is growing or it's remaining in its ample nature, then you've got to look to a residency issue. That's why we don't keep on practicing sin because in residency with God, those things are expiring. Those things are dying. Those things are being uprooted. Those things are being broken off of us. So if we're choosing to live in Jesus, it does not necessarily mean that we are perfect from that day forward, but it does mean that we are being perfected. That the process of living in Jesus is one of sin expulsion, sin extinction. This process takes time. And there's a discovery journey. And we find things that we didn't know were there 10 years in our journey. And we're like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that was there. Oh, no. 
And uh, so we find things in this journey with Jesus, and we explore things, and we understand things, and we grow in things, and we experience life, so sometimes we regress. But the point is this, is that if you find yourself growing in righteousness or growing in wickedness, you have a residency issue. Address it. Choose to live in Jesus and choose to decline every other thing that invites you away from living in Jesus. And if it's your family uh, curses, if it's your family behavior, if it's your friends, if it's your workplace, uh, understand that these things are not to be yielded to. You can love them, and in the next part here is love, and we'll probably talk about that in the following weeks. But, but the tradition is this, is I will not take my patterns and copy and paste them from this world, even if it's my family. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the patterns of Jesus, I'm going to take the nature of Jesus, I'm going to take the house of Jesus, and I'm going to apply that to my life. Okay? Let's pray. Did you guys have fun? Did anybody not have fun? You just kick it. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. Uh, that's good. I really like that song, Jesus, We Love You. Do you guys like that song? I like that song. Do you guys want to sing that without instruments? Yeah? Let's, let's just sing it like one time, and then I'm going to pray. Somebody else. Thank you for listening to the Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about the Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.